am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Welcome back to Legendary Mindset. I'm your host, Jake P. Richardson. Today's episode is Guy Glasscock. And Guy Glasscock is a very good friend of mine, lives just down the road. And since I moved to Brownwood, I've been keeping my ewes over there to lamb and get sail babies ready and stuff. And Guy is always teaching me stuff as we go, just about, you know, keeping sheep healthy and, and everything. And, you know, any question you could come up with production sheep-wise, you know, he's probably got an answer or an idea of how to fix it. And, you know, he's been raising club lambs in Texas for about 30 years now. And his knowledge is all from experience. And there's a huge memory bank in there. And, you know, he's just a, you know, a great guy to learn from and, and be around. And, you know, just because there's so much information there, he's a really good guy and is a ton of fun. Um, but this podcast, like, you know, like I said, just a ton of fun to do. And there's some really, very valuable information in here. Guy's mindset is so practical. Listen up. Are you from Texas, early Texas? Nope, grew up in Killeen, Texas. Killeen. What, yes, what was your family doing down there? My dad was a football coach, coached there for about 35 years till 1991. They won a state championship and he retired. Did you play? I played. Pretty good? Uh, for a little guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made first team all district. Our school was super 5A. Uh-huh. Um, most of the guys, I, I mean, it's basically like almost like college football. We that competitive? A, yeah, we had 11 guys off my team play D1 football. Really? And um, but I had bigger stats. They put they put they had me playing quick guard, and I was really really quick off the line. So a lot of those big guys, I could catch them off balance before they ever even stood up. So, Perfect. Yeah. Super fast. Did you want to play college ball? No, had no interest in it. Yeah. What do you want to do? <laughs> Uh, I, from the time I got started raising sheep, that's kind of what I wanted to do, and I started piddling with it in high school, and kind of just took off from there. So how did how did that start? Was it like a 4-H project, or? Yeah, my dad. I mean, being in a bigger city like that, which it, it's not a giant city, but I mean, there's a lot of different diversity and and ethnic of people there and stuff. So he was trying to keep me in check and have something for me to do. So in the ninth grade, my uncle raised uh, a few club lambs from, from my cousins and stuff. And uh, I always liked going over there and messing with them. And so and then when I got in the ninth grade, I started showing, showing lambs. And before that, I'd never had any dealings with lambs or anything. My grandfather had a farm there in Georgetown. And, um, you know, on the weekends and stuff, I'd, I'd, a lot of times I'd stay with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he mainly ran cattle on the farm, but... So my uncle's the one that kind of, and my dad is the one that got me into the sheep business. So did your dad have any like anything to do with sheep beforehand, or he just thought it was a good activity? No, nobody in the whole family had anything to really? do with sheep. So I kind of just came out of the blue with it. Really? So, so you just instantly loved it, or you just thought it was fun? Or? Yeah, I've always been competitive, and you know, the first couple of years I showed, I mean, I worked really hard, and you know, we'd end up third, fourth, fifth, something, you know, mm-hmm. in class, and I just wanted to do better. So progressively, I just started working harder. And it's funny, my dad would never let me spend more than $250 on a lamb, mm-hmm. but he let me buy 10 of them. <laughs> and, you know, now knowing what I know now, I mean, we'd have been better off buying, you know, two of them for 1000 and mm-hmm. instead of buying 10 of them for $250, but it made me work hard. And it actually taught me to analyze sheep and find skinny ones that were good because I couldn't spend money on the ones that were bloomy and ready to look mm-hmm. at. So, you I, yeah. So that that's what I attribute a lot of like where I'm at now is just having to take skinny sheep and work hard and and, and make them you know into what they were. Yeah. So. So did you showed all the majors and stuff when you. Back really then? never even showed at major shows. It's kind of one of those weird deals. Everybody else in the business grew up doing it. Showed you know their parents did it and everything else, but. Um, we ran around with uh, Randy Kelder, was an ex-ag teacher there, and uh, we bought sheep from we bought sheep from Randy and stuff. And anyways, the only time we ever I ever went to a major show, I went to Houston my senior year, 
um, with the lamb, and I, I mean, I finished in the cell. I don't even remember exactly what I placed, but you were in the cell. Yeah, there you go. So we did. I mean, we did all right. But. So you're in love with the sheep by the point you graduated and wanted to do that forever. Or? And that's all I really wanted to do from the time I was a junior on. I told my dad I didn't want to play football, but him being on the on the varsity staff, you know, he said there's not any chance you you're playing football, oh, son. Yeah. So I didn't have a whole lot of choice in it. So. So we're just. You go to college? Did you want to? Went to school at Texas A&M. Graduated there in '91. Um, I had the privilege of working with Dr. John Edwards. Uh, he got me in where we got to stay at the uh, Lewis Pierce Pavilion. Mm -hmm. They still have that there. Yeah. Basically, I took Sean Ramsey's place. Really? Sean went to, uh, I believe, Wyoming, to grad school, and I took his position there at, at the Lewis Pierce Pavilion. And it was a pretty cush deal because we got paid 50 hours every two weeks and I got to live there for free. And without that, I probably, I probably wouldn't have made it through college because my parents had a little money set back for me to go. They had enough to cover tuition and about $400 a month. But anybody that pays for college knows it, it takes a lot more than that. So, so that helped a bunch. So did you're, you're at the Lewis Pierce, you weren't, that's not the Sheep Center. That's, that's just, not the Sheep Center. At that time, it was right next door to the Sheep Center mm -hmm. and right next door to the Horse Center. And now they've built a whole new facility out on the river and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So so what'd you do at Lewis Pierce? What'd you have to take care of? All we had to do is keep the arena in good shape. It was like a, it was an indoor show arena is mm -hmm. what it was, air conditioned. And we had a lot of football games on the weekend in there. You got to live there for free? Just taking mm -hmm. care of it for free really yep i've been there a few times like still this day i mean there's livestock in the camps in there and shows in there and all yeah that. they had a dorm room in there and that was a deal we'd water the arena and plow it but most of the time i worked at the sheep center yeah so did, you, you weren't employed at the sheep center you just kind of hung out there to start up or did you work there too no that was part of it we oh. we, we ran a sheep center too me and brian raider uh a lot of people probably know tudor raider <laughs> um but anyways that that he was one our roommate in there, and Glenn Allen Phillips was there for about one semester with us too. Really? So. You guys all pretty good buddies. Oh yeah, we all still talk some. Who else was there? Um, that was just us three at that mm -hmm. at the at the Lewis Pierce there. Okay. Did so. you judge livestock? I hung around with the guys that judged livestock, but I didn't have quite enough money to run with those guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, at A and M they don't give any scholarships or anything. They get those guys a few grants, but. Mm -hmm. um, and I probably wasn't quite smart enough to do it either, just being honest, you know, just missing that much school and going on trips and all that oh, stuff, yeah. so. Is there anyone on that, on that livestock judging team who's still around today? Oh yeah, Glenn Martin, um, really? um, Barbers was there, Mitch Thomas, all uh, Izzy Cardenas, really? I mean, all those guys were on the team. Then. I heard that Glenn played football at a and and judged. He did, and like right in the first part of it, he cracked a vertebrae in his neck and they, made him I mean he, he had to he had he to quit. Play football, yeah. right yeah so took Sean Ramsey's position went to A&M lived in you know Lewis Pierce and what was your kind of goal at that point after college just I didn't really have a goal I didn't really? know where I was going um in the summers I'd take off and we went and worked in in California mm -hmm. uh, me and my best friend his uncle owned a coastal engineer in there and so in the summer, we could make more money than, you know, there than we could anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, they let us live for free. And, what were you doing? Uh, we're just working in the yard and then working on pumping units mm -hmm. out in the field. And so pretty much in the summers, actually from my senior year through about my junior year there in college, or my, my senior year in high school through my junior year in college, we worked out there in Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. So you, you messed around. So in the summertime, you went to California and worked, but during school, were you kind of keeping up with the club lamb thing? And going oh, to yeah. I was already, I already had my own flock going. Um, I kept it up there at my grandpa's farm in Georgetown. Okay. Um, I bought out a man named Jim McInerney, which I had bought lambs from when I was in high school. And that foundation of that flock, um, there was a fellow named Masters that worked for... Um, Rosenbush that had walking tall mm -hmm. and he had taken some of those genetics with him and retired down around Richland Springs and anyways Jim McInerney ended up with those sheep they bought a couple of bucks about four years before I got them from Crego mm -hmm. in Colorado hemp bucks and so I, I when I bought that flock out that they they had more bone and more shag at that time than a lot of people's did which ends up relevant. before it was even popular yeah, yeah. 
But, uh, but two years in a row, they won San Antonio out of that flock. His daughters did. Really? Mm-hmm. So what you're, you're, in your brain, what you know about sheep up until this point is just kind of what you've learned, just kind of showing yourself and just kind of watching? Or do you yeah. have people you're kind of picking their brains? Really, at that time, I didn't have any mentors in the deal. I mean, um, it's basically just uh, school of hard knocks, you know? Yeah. I mean, just you just kind of learned what was fitting and what was working. And I didn't, like our, our county agents and stuff there really didn't help us when I was growing up in high school, you know, picking sheep and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was so basically it just trial and error and figure it out. Okay. Like, so you had your flock of ewes at Grandpa's graduated from A&M and... What was the plan from there? Well, I went to a judging contest with uh, with our judging team and kind of hit it off with Jay Winters. And I sat there and listened to his reasons with him all day. And he uh, actually offered me an intern for the next semester. Mm -hmm. So intern turned into a job for about two years. And I actually did my last, oh, about nine hours as an intern for him and then graduated from, yeah. from A&M. So Jay Winter, for the people who don't know, so he, would that be Wintex? Wintex Farms at that time, I mean, he was, him and Hill Country were the men down here, oh, in, yeah. you know, in, in Texas, and um, they were winning most of the major shows and stuff, so yeah, it was a good opportunity. So you worked there for two years, how many youths did he have? And at that time he had close to a thousand. Really? Yeah. All club lambs? Club lamb type youths, yeah, um, all pretty much just uh, dry lotted. Mm -hmm. You learn a lot from him? Oh yeah, especially a lot about doctoring. I mean, yeah. that guy was a genius at doctoring sheep and uh, that, I mean, and I learned a lot about just livestock in general working for him too. Mm -hmm. Will, I think, was about 11 years old when I first started yeah. there and Tyler and Tanner were like six. I mean, they were, really? yeah, so. Dang, so did you still have your flock of ewes at that point? When you were yeah, he let there? me bring, I think I had 35 ewes up there. Is what so he let me and kind of maintain him at that number, so we just kind of had him in with his sheep at, at that time. And, uh, his bucks and stuff. Yeah, he let me breed a buck we called Broken Joe, mm -hmm. and uh, you can take every you in the flock that's still good, I mean, that's you know, and take them back to that buck. That buck hit a leg, and it was funny, he had broke his leg, got crippled when he was little, and he walked kind of with his leg kicked out to the right, but uh, that thing was a breeder now. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did a good job. So learned a bunch working for Jay for two years, and then what happens from there? Where, where does your wife come into this? Have you already met Ann, or did you? Oh, I've been, my, me and my wife have been together since I was, a, I guess, a junior in high school, and she was a freshman, so. Really? Girl yeah. in the same town? We, yes, her dad was a colonel in the Army. Okay. And so that's the way clean worked. You got a lot of people came through there, and you'd have friends for two years, and then their dad would get shipped off, and then, you know, just never kind of people just, yeah, you never see them again. And now with Facebook, you kind of connect with some of them, but. So working for Jay, like that's kind of backtrack a little bit. So you're done working for Jay, what's the next move? You start working for yourself, still raising some sheep or? Well, I got tired of breathing sand every day and started missing trees and uh, I moved back down. A friend of mine had a company in Austin that made uh, canvas awnings and mm -hmm. I've always been a good welder and all that stuff. so. He basically hired me to run that awning company in Austin. So I spent about a year and a half doing that there and running that company. And I still have my sheep there at my granddad's. Um, that time we were running about half fine wools and half blackface. And it didn't take me long to figure out that the blackfaces made a lot more money mm -hmm. than the fine wools. So we just kind of sold, I actually sold those out to Troy Ruffin. And uh, that, those old fine wools had a lot of uh, that old uh, Bill Clark stuff in them. I mean, they were good. And Troy had a lot of success with them after he got them from him. Uh, Glenn Martin was feeding some of them and Troy was feeding some of them. They were getting along good in the majors with them. But. So the sheep you were raising at that point, were they pretty good and competitive or were you just still trying to build your flock? We were just more? building the flock. I mean, we'd have one or two place in a major show, you know, and doing good in the counties, but, you know, not killing it, so. So your, your wife, She's she works at a hospital now. That she can have a career at the same time. As yeah, before. we uh, when we got married, she got a job down at um, in Comel County. Um, and uh, anyways, we we got married and moved to a place that I leased down there from a neighbor of my granddad's. Mm -hmm. um, it was about twelve hundred acres, 
and uh, we moved down there and I by that time I was up to about oh, 50 60 head of sheep and then we ran some cattle on the place too so mm -hmm. but um, that's where Trey was born down there uh, yeah just kind of lived off the land and just worked and yeah it's pretty it's, it's pretty tough getting going <laughs> really? How so? well just I mean just making ends meet I mean the first first time I had to pay a, a uh, the check for the lease I mean it was hard to scratch it up yeah. I mean you know we just had to go sell some stuff <laughs> yeah. but were you still kind of motivated like I can make this work we can oh yeah this yeah well, I mean we 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 hawked everything to, to go buy bucks and rams and use yeah. and everything you know just just to make it work yeah but. so what was your you know your first buck that you kind of made it work for you right after that the first one, I had a friend, and he started the corpse sale, and, and there's probably not a whole lot of people remember him. Some of the older fellows will, but his name was Mike Martinson, mm -hmm. and he was the original guy that started the corpse sale, and he had a, a magazine called the Show Ring Magazine. And back in the time, I mean, he was the wheeler dealers of Justin Nathan, and now, mm -hmm. you know, making the sales and, and, and promoting stuff and all yeah. that. So anyways, um, I'd been running around with Mike for a while, and, and Mike called me and said, Bradley has got, he swears it's, it's the real deal. He said he's got a buck named Boss, and um, anyways, he said this lamb crop is incredible out of him. He said we need to run up there and go look at him. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, we we run up to we went up to Bradley's and uh, take a look at those sheep, and they just look like peas in a pod. And all of them were, I mean, big backed and big ended. And at that time, they weren't shaggy like they are now, but I mean, those sheep were definitely different at that time and had true rib shape in them back even at that time than what a lot of people had. I mean, Harold was doing really good at that time, but those sheep, their center body was a little flatter and they were a little flatter coming in their rib, but that boss deal was just super round coming mm -hmm. into his rib shape. And at that, yeah, at that time, I, it's funny because Bradley ended up teaching me more than anybody's ever taught me in the business. Um, you know, Bradley was explaining rib shape and, and, and hip shape and how, you know, sheep with bigger hip has more butt than one of those little round butted ones, you know, round shaped ones. And anyways, so we took off on that boss deal. We bought two sons out of that. Um, we, we called one BJ and one LJ and that one of them was Big Johnson and one was Little Johnson. <laughs> and actually Little Johnson ended up bigger frame wise because he went back to some of that March stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the one we called BJ though really hit he hit a lick. The first crop of lambs out of that, I had yeah a little bit of a following, and uh, we placed like six or seven lambs in Houston that year, and so that kind of set it off. There you go. So that was the first kind of interaction with Bradley you had, or did you did you kind of have a big relationship with him after that? Oh, after that, no. We for years we you know we bought we ended up buying a lot of ewes from Bradley and Brian, and and then. Um, bought several bucks, you know, in, a, in mm -hmm. over the years, you know, during that deal. What so. was the most important thing Bradley taught you? That's probably helped you out the most, I'd say. That's that's a hard question because he taught me a lot of stuff. Him and Fred and I would sit there at the table and till wee hours of the morning just cussing mm -hmm. and discussing stuff. But most most probably the best thing was the genetics he taught me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had. I learned some genetics in college, but I mean, he taught me, you know, about about going one out, you know, after you get them line bred, come one out and then come back in, you know, with the sun out of that outcross and, um, you know, like niece to nephew relationships and stuff like that. And it sticks true through the whole deal. I mean, anybody that's a breeder and watches that stuff, you know, they're gonna they're gonna see how that stuff clicks down through there. And I was lucky he taught me that kind of early on where I could practice that even to today, mm -hmm. you know. For sure. So you, you used that boss ram and you had some success at majors. Was that just like a breath of fresh air, like a relief? Like, okay, we can do this. Like, oh, yeah. This is possible. Yeah, because you're, you're grinding it out, trying to make a make a living. And basically at that time, that's, that was my sole living is just selling club lambs. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's funny, we about that time we get the, that, uh, oh, we get another son out of... Um, Hold on just a second. This is getting so far back, I'm having trouble remembering it. Um, Studley. Mm -hmm. So he, I was ta <clears throat> talking to Bradley. He said, you got to come look at the lambs out of Studley, which he went back into the Boston Grand Slam deal. And, 
Anyways, we get up there, and they were even more impressive than, like, the boss lamps. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember we showed up there, and I saw that little set of lambs, and I was like, good Lord, they are all just look like clones, you know? Mm -hmm. So we get to studying them and sit there. I sat down on a bucket watching them, and they had, I don't know, there was 20 lambs in this group. And we go to sort them down, and we end up with the buck we call Benham. And Bradley always had a saying. He said, where the money and the man and the sheep meet, the sheep's traded. Mm -hmm. So anyways, we, we picked that lamb out, and Bradley calls me the next morning. He said, you can't have that sheep. And I said, Bradley, I said, I wrote you a check last night for half of him, you know. And I said, you always said where the man and the money and the sheep meet, that's where he's traded. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you got me on that. He said, but, he said, if I want to breed to him, I need to be able to breed to him. And I was like, that's fine. But that Venom Buck's really the one that put us on the map. Yeah. I mean, that thing took off, and, I mean, we had lots of winners out of him back in the day. And that's kind of the time Ritson Urban started buying some sheep from us, you know, doing really good for national majors outside of Texas and that kind of stuff. What was he like? Ritson? Yeah. That guy was life is what he was. I mean, he was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you ever got to meet mm -hmm. him. Yeah, I, I love Ritson. He was, he was a good guy. It's always just, a, I mean, everything was a joke and fun. And, you know, he'd get serious at the stock shows. I was around a few stock shows. He's still laughing and joking, but he kind of gets serious after a while. Yeah. But What was your first impression of him or first time you met him or, or something like that? What, was, what did you think of him? I mean, he's one of those guys you just like from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, if you can talk to anybody that knew Ritson, I mean, everybody loved that guy. Yeah. He's Except the people, people competing against they, him. They didn't he, like was, him he was steamrolling. <laughs> yeah, he's, I heard. I mean, just way ahead of his time, way intelligent, just new stuff that no one else did. And Correct. Yeah. And I think most of the guys, a lot of them that are successful now, you know, Chad Charmison and Ty Allen and all those guys, kind of grew up underneath them. Uh, Chad Walker. I mm -hmm. mean, they all learned from Ritson and yeah. spent time with him and. The guy was just really sharp and yeah. had a really good eye on livestock. So, mm -hmm. so the, you said, what was that Johnson buck you just mentioned? Um, Venom. Venom. So mm -hmm. you used Venom, works really good. And what, we, we used him and that buck lined up good too. With the old boss daughters? Yes. And then we had bought about 20 ewes in there. The, there were some studlies, some kingpins, some studly twos, all that stuff. And we started lining those sheep up and just, I mean, really started making stuff work. Mm -hmm. I mean, he worked good on our old base too. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've, so Venom in my uh, podcast logo, I have a I have a, a, a pedigree in there, and mm -hmm. it's triggers. Right, Venom's in there. Yes. So trigger, you raised trigger, right? I think he's a, correct. Brian Bison, how'd, how'd that go down? I had that sheep. So. That's one of those deals where we actually went kind of a generation out and then came back in. Um, Trigger's mom was like well, out of a, a double bred cash that was called the Narrow. Mm -hmm. Joe Britton had bought two different uh, cash sons. He called one Ace and one Apollo. Mm -hmm. And anyways, we ended up buying a buck that was like an Ace on an Apollo daughter. We called him De Nero is what we called him. And then we kind of bred him in there. He threw a little bit too much blue. And at that time, blue was phased out big time. I mean, nobody wanted him blue, but we kept a lot of those females that were white. But actually, Trigger's mom had a little bit of a blue tint to her. Um, you know, they had good shag, which was coming into play at this time because we were leaving that kind of fine bone blue Suffolk deal and what everything was, oh, good Lord. Uh, probably right at 2000, okay. right in there. And, uh, Anyways, got we got to go back a little bit because Trigger came out of Guywire. Mm -hmm. um, Larry Shell had come by the house, and Guywire was um, oh a little April lamb, and he uh, was kind of earlier April. But um, anyways, I was gonna cut him for trade to show at Houston, and anyways, he talked me out of cutting cutting the sheep and, and then basically selling him half of it. And okay. it was. Uh-huh. Portrait. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always sold him flat-footed. <laughs> it was bad. But uh, but he goes and breeds him, and uh, I went up to look at the lambs, and it was an exceptional set of sheep. Mm -hmm. And matter of fact, that year I didn't even breed him. So then the next year, I start breeding him, and in there I buy, I buy one of the buck lambs he has out of that deal, too, that, that worked really well. But so we kind of got Guywire running. He was a funny ram, like, 
that that sheep won a lot of stuff up north but those sheep were earlier maturing like i call them you know nine months sheep i mean at nine months they were really good um they got on towards 11 12 months and they hit a freaky growth spurt and kind of they just kind of got gangly at that stage mm-hmm. um so in texas it's funny you go back and look on winnings out of like guy wire there's not a lot of winnings in texas but like after herleman gets him I mean, it's, it's astronomical yeah. what he wins out of that thing up north just because they matured, you know, a lot Wasn't quicker. Was there a list of them? Or how many, how many oh, it was insane. It was like a two-page list that Dwayne posted that from winnings of that sheep over about a three-year period. Mm. And Why do you think he worked so well for Dwayne just because it was a different market? It, it was... it, a different market and maybe just a little different U-base. You know, we were lining them up, and for whatever reason, I, I'm taking it that he outcrossed real good on his deal, mm-hmm. you know. Um because like I said, he was pretty pretty lined up into into our stuff. There you go. So Guy Wires Trigger's dad. Correct. So you, you, I think you sold Trigger at a sale, right? A live sale. Yeah, bruh, Brian and has another funny story on Ritson because Brian and Ritson had showed up at the house to look at at lambs, and Brian priced that ram, and I priced him half of him, and uh, anyways he he said no, nah, I don't think I'm gonna do it. So Ritson calls me like the next morning. He said, let's just cut that thing. He said, I need to go win a big show. <laughs> And I said, well, in the meantime, after Brian kind of turned him down, I had called Dan Willoughby and I told Dan I was going to bring him up to uh, the Midwest Elite, you know. And so once I, pretty much once I commit on something, I stick to it. I'm not going to back out. So anyways, I ended up taking the Midwest Elite. Well, in the meantime, Brian calls me back and said, I think I'll just take him. I said, man, I've already talked to Dan, told him I was gonna take him up here. He said, well, it doesn't make any difference. He said, I'll just bid on him up there. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, that's how he got named Trigger because he, he just pulled the trigger on him. Pulled what, trigger. Yeah, on that deal. He worked pretty good for Brian. Yeah, yeah, Brian had a lot of success out of that deal. Bullets out of him, and then bulletproof out of that. And yeah. Then, and they drop the mic and all that goes back to bulletproof. And Correct. Everything, but, so where does 40 large come into play? How many years later? Oh, probably about three years later is when 40 large. I, I burned up a pickup trying to find a hamp buck that was stout-footed and, and really correct in their structure and a little bigger and better out their pin set, you know, to, to, to work back on all that guy wire. And a lot of those guy wire venom crosses were just killer. I mean, at that time, um, Justin Nathan was working for uh, Kent Langmeyer, and they were buying pretty much every – female that I would sell that was lined up like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and those, those for whatever that, that, you know, pairing right there just really worked, you know, producing lambs. But um, I was looking one for make them just a little stouter footed and I'd seen him at Miller's and asked him, you know, to price the buck. Well, that year they, they were breeding him pretty heavy. And uh, matter of fact, that's where um, McLennan got a lot of those ewe lambs where they bred that buck heavy and they and McLennan bought a lot of the ewe lambs out of 40 large at that mm-hmm. time. I guess Burns' mom was probably Correct. Yeah. So um, we rolled through there and I called him back the next year after they bred him and anyways he, he said I'd heard he was for sale from um, David Garrett had told me he was for sale and I immediately went and called him. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that buck. And he, I said, what's he gonna cost? And he said, uh, 40,000. And I said, let me make a phone call, see if I can get a little help on this deal. Cause back then that's lots of money. Oh, I mean, now, I mean, help people are selling for 75, 100,000, whatever. Mm-hmm. But back then that was, I think the only one that sold for more than that was at uh, Sedalia. And it would have been the one that um, Cabinus sold um, all in. Oh, okay. I think that buck brought fifty-two thousand. Is what he brought, if mm-hmm. I remember right. But <clears throat> so, anyways, we I called Kent Langmire, and I said, "Man, I, I said that that forty large or that the buck that's forty large that I told you about. I said he's for, he's for sale today for forty thousand, and he said get him bought. And I said, "Well, I'm in for half. Let's get it done." So, anyways, that's how we end up, and that's how he ended up with his name was forty large because that's what he cost. <laughs> <laughs> so you do own a quarter with Kent. No, I own half. Kent oh. owned half and I owned half. He so, sold, they sold them outright. Miller sold the whole thing? Yeah, and, and I asked him, I said, why, you know, I said, I own the buck now. I went to pick him up. Like, Kent wired him money. I brought a check with me and went to pick him up. 
I said, I own the sheep now. I said, why, are, why did y'all sell them? And they said, well, we had a lot of trouble lambing out of it. And those boys feed a lot of wheat hay, and they keep those sheep in real good shape. And those mm. sheep, I mean, they're big-footed, and they're big-headed, too. And, and so they were having lambing problems, and that was the main reason they said they sold them. And so it was good that I asked that question. He told me that because we treated those ewes that were bred to him different. I mean, we just put them basically on some Sudan hay, which, I mean, it's not real high percent hay, and feed them a pound a day is all we'd feed them coming into lamb in, in the last trimester. Then we never had much problems getting, I mean, we had to pull some of them, but we never really had problems pulling those lambs. So do those sheep just look way different out of him than anything you'd raised? That before? thing was a breeder. I mean, those lambs were consistent. Um, you know, back when we had him, we might haul one or two lambs a year to the cell barn out of them, and it was just some genetic screw-up, you know. But, uh, I mean, just consistency was crazy on that deal, mm -hmm. and the females were just priceless out of it. Yeah. How long did you use him? Oh, we used him until he died. I mean, we had him like eight years. Yeah. And that's part of That's a little bit of my downfall. We probably went a little too deep into that too long, you know. I mean, everybody's familiar with the dwarf gene now, and... and I think it came out of the masterpiece deal, but we'd line him up and wouldn't get many. I mean, we'd get what we call those radar lambs that have a bent up ear, but still their body was good and they weren't that bad structure, but they were super thick and they were awesome back then in the lightweight classes because, I mean, that's that's the style everybody was going to, a yeah. little more, you know, Extreme. moderate and, and just way super thick, mm -hmm. you know. And so we didn't have a problem moving those lambs. I mean, they, they, they did good. Oh, yeah. So what... You used them for eight years. Which year do you think you worked the best? Like the first year or when you maybe bred them back to the Probably starters? the third year is what's weird and you bring that up and I've watched different bucks do different stuff in different years and I talked to Dave Whitaker about it which they do a lot of study on that and race horses and stuff and um, he said they've got research, you know, one year all the colts out of this, you know, stud are just super fast. Mm -hmm. You know, the next year breed them the same way and none of them are good mm -hmm. you know so i think it's the same way in bucks i just think and you know it's it's certain years they just click right but i know we were breeding with some of the same ewes you know the fifth and sixth year that we were getting just killer ewes and you lambs and weathers out of and they were not as good mm -hmm. i mean by a long shot and i watched caesar do that too um that david garrett had the older he got the and you could still pair them up the same way, and I, I don't think we were that crazy, and the sheep changed that much. But the lambs just weren't as good further down the line as what they were, you know, those first three, four years of their life. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know how to explain it or yeah. why. It's probably the good Lord telling you to move on to something else, you know. <laughs> it's like, give it up. Yeah. So you bred him for eight years. At this point, was your whole flock? Everything had a shot of 40? Pretty much everything in the flock's got a shot of 40 lungs. Was, we, kept, we kept no other lines out, and that's one thing Bradley warned me on. You know, he said, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna line breed, he said you need to have a line going a different way where you can kind of cross them back and forth, and we got too heavy in that 40 large deal, and then trends started turning, getting a little more up-fronted and, you know, trickier ribbed and that kind of stuff, and kind of get, get, get behind and start playing catch-up, you know? Yeah. I think, what I, just what I've noticed, like maybe, Right after you got done using 40, it, it, like you said, you're kind of in a little bit of a hole. But people were pulling ewes out of here oh. and making tons of money and making Correct. incredible ones. Like, why do you think those ewes worked I mean, so well for other people? I, I think what those guys did, I mean, we were those, those ewes were so lined up and predictable. And, I mean, they all go back to about 20 ewes. And I call them ewe families in our flock. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those we were selling out of there for pretty high dollar. Um you know, Jim Nelson got a lot of them. Justin, you know, Nathan got a lot of them. Kent got a lot of them. Anyways, those guys were coming in and buying those superior-looking females that were way lined up, and they were just predictable on what they would, you know, the babies would look like when they came out of them. But they were taking them to some bucks that were a little more edgy. Um, Texas, it gets to me, Texas and up north is a little different, you know, as far as the body types they use. And they were taking them, what I call it, a little more northern-type sheep, and we were still breeding them you know, to more their type, you know, smaller conventional, you know, thicker made. Yeah. So. So there was those shoes you were just so lined up that they worked pretty quickly on an outcross. Right. Can't yeah, those guys took them and outcrossed, and I should have been smart like them and gone up north and bought a buck and outcrossed them at that time. But You still have a lot of those ewes, or? 
Oh, they're getting old, and I mean, there's a couple of them left, but there's not many. You know, Chance Neff bought 110 ewes from me and kind of started his deal, and then shortly after that, he bought out Cody Burson. But on my end, you know, most of those ewes he got were all lined up 40 large ewes mm -hmm. with a shot of guy wire and venom back in them, too. There's so some PBR that exists. In that that PBR too. was. That sheep was freakier for that time. He was he was a little cooler in his rib, a little shallower chest, a little shorter shouldered at that time. Um, those females still, we've still got some that have some of that PBR back in them, and they're the ones you'll see that are, you know, a little more made that way. Mm -hmm. So, for sure. So what was the next move? I mean, you're kind of sitting there with a bunch of forty in your ewes. Oh yeah, we're looking for an outcross sure big time, trying to figure out where to go, breeding thirteen or fourteen different bucks, trying to figure out what's going to work. And uh, anyways, Justin called me one day and said he was going up to Wade Franklin's. And um, I asked him, I said, you mind if I tag along? I said, I'd like to go see those sheep. And man, we show up there and he had, which would have been the last set out of Woodshed. And Justin and I together, I mean, we're pretty quick on evaluating stuff. And uh, we go through that guy's set and I don't know. There were somewhere between 15 and 20 of them. We had pulled out to look at his stud bucks. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a jag of them. And so, anyways, we kind of worked through there and keep working through them and get them down to a couple. And we we work a deal with Wade to get two of them bought. And um, that was the fire away buck that we got. And sadly, he only made it one year. I think I've got. I don't know maybe six or seven ewes on the place out of them. Trey was smart. He bought like 10 of them from Justin at that time. And I mean, those faraway daughters are like gold. I mean, they're really good. Yeah. Um, the other one we bought was a buck we call Supercharged, which SRV owns now, but um, and it's still on them with Wade. But he did a lot of good too. Those sheep were a little more what I call Texas sheep. You know, they're a little stouter made, maybe not quite as shallow, but you know, tons of back shape. Big, big hip, I mean. Tons of features. Yeah. Manly. Right, so we go back after he loses them and we end up buying two more bucks. The the uh, next year we buy, out of fire away, we buy 89 and 108, which 108 is the one that, I've used both of them. 89's done a really good job. He makes a really cool rib in them. They're a little longer sighted. Um, top line's really good in those sheep. But I we had more access to 108 because, um, Wade used 89, like for his whole herd, I mean, mm -hmm. on the whole bred herd. A couple, yeah, I bred everything to him a couple years ago. So I've had more access to 108, so we've lined that 108 back on uh, on those supercharged deals and um, kind of got to a point where we've got two or three generations of that woodshed lined up in here. So we're, we're kind of shopping out on bucks right now. We tried a couple this year that are working really good. We bought a Next Level Sun. Um, well, it's actually one that's out of one of one of my ewes that Justin and I own together. Um, we call him Change Up, and he's done a real nice job on kind of getting those sheep a little bit taller and cooler fronted, um, still holding a lot of base width and power to them. Pin sets are, you know, better in those too. But we're still lining that deal up some. Uh, we got a buck that we own with Kyle Smithwick that we raised out of 108. It's called Quality Control. And that sheep throws the right rib shape and side profile in them. And they're, like I said, their top line and bottom line are right in them. Um, Kyle got to use him more last year as a buck lamb. It had hung three different banners out of him last year. Mm -hmm. So he's doing a good job. We had a real nice set out of him this year. Had a little bit of fertility issue with him in the early lambs, but the March set was really good out of him. Mm -hmm. so. so I know you mentioned how you, know, you learned from Bradley to line stuff up and, and outcross just a little bit, but you know, keep it tight. So where does your, you know, your idea of this is what mature use and keeper females need to look like? Where does that come from? And what is, what do you think they need to look like or what did you? I'm different than a lot of people. A lot of people want those uh, used to, to be more up and out and, you know, more elevated. Mine, I try to keep the power in them because it just seems like you can breed the muscle out of them so quick. Mm -hmm. So I try to keep my ewes a little wider, a little thicker, you know, mate type ewe. Um, I'm a structure freak. They've got to be good on their feet and their legs. And 
they they definitely have to blend up through their shoulder. I want their rib to come flat in with their shoulder, mm -hmm. and and be really smooth up there, but be wide, you know, coming into it. Mm -hmm. um, I hate sheep with big shoulder points on them. I I despise it, and I hate them with their tight ribs right behind their shoulder. I I just can't do it. Yeah. But anyways, that that's where we go, and pretty much any female we keep will have that same pattern. I mean, you can, last year we kept ninety of them, and ninety of them, I mean, fit that build. Yeah. Um, it sometimes this year we're with the COVID deal and all that going on, we're probably not keeping as many ewe lambs probably like everybody else, but um, it, it's a really nice set of females this time around, so. Mm. Do you think, I know, I know I know, lion breeding works and, and keeps those sheep consistent, but do you think there's any, like this is just kind of something I'm curious about. Do you think there's anything to, if you breed sheep to bucks that look like them, but not bred like them, and just kind of always keep that same look in your flock, maybe not be as so consistent with your genetics do you think that kind of lines them up in, in a way that they're more consistent too or is it just genetics uh, there's some thoughts on that some people think you know you breed one line of big penguins and they're not lined up and breed them to another line with you know a sheep that's really big pin setted that there's a gene in there i i've always just strictly done it by genetics yeah um i've always bred kind of the middle too i don't swing at the fences very often that's probably why i you know, a lot of times we'll have several sheep placed in the major shows. I mean, one time at Houston, we had 23 of them down there, 19 of them make the sale. Really? You know, there was like 10 of them in the top three. Um, if we bred a different type buck that was freakier and extreme, I mean, we might have had one of them down there that would have won it, and we'd probably hold the other 19 to the sale barn. That's just mm -hmm. my experience, you know, going out on a limb and breeding those edgier bucks that don't. I've done it some, and every time it just seems to bite me in the butt because we we just don't get the consistency like we get lining them up and 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 using a buck that you know works. And it's hard for me to keep a buck around that you get one great one out of and you know twenty pieces of crap out of. It just it doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. And you're making because, you're making a living. You're not just trying to make one great one. You're trying to make yeah sellable sheep. Correct. Yeah, yeah we run about three hundred ewes and. I mean, normally in a normal year, we might haul 10 to the sale barn. So um, all those sheep are consistently, you know, good. They're going to fit somewhere, at a, you know, at a county type show. I'm not saying we raise everything we raise is, you know, $5,000 ones. But, I mean, there's also, I realize I've been in it long enough. There's, there's a home for all those sheep at different price ranges. And we try to cater to people and, and figure out where their budget's at and get them the best sheep they can in their budget. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes I'll, I'll give some to, you know, if they're taking two or three, you know, if they've got $750 a head to spend, I might chunk a $1,500, you know, type lamb that would bring that, you know, to most everybody. I'll throw it in there, you know, because they're good customers and they come back every year. So, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, that's one thing in this business. You can't afford to make people mad, you know. Yeah, I know. So. So, I know you, the Young Gun sale is, is yours. I mean, you started it. How'd that, how'd that come to be? When we first moved to Brownwood, I was supposed to be the county agent up here, and it's kind of a crazy deal that we, I, during the hiring process, the district agent retired that was hiring me. Um, so anyways, we had already found a place to move to, and my wife had found a job up here at the hospital here in Brownwood. And so we were moving here, and kind of in the process of moving, I found out that I was gonna have to re-interview with a, a, a different agent because uh, Ken Cook had retired. So anyways, we're already up here and, and a guy with a master's degree applied for the job too. Long story short, I, I didn't end up getting a job. Mm -hmm. So I started, a, my brother-in-law had a business doing um, resurfacing bathtubs and countertops. And so he trained me how to do that and I just took off and made my own job here when we got here. And it, I mean, it made really good money, it's just that, Breathing that paint fumes every day is not the best for your health. Yeah, so can't do it forever. So as soon as as soon as the sheep started taking off, I kind of just switched and went straight to the sheep. So you have your own sale at your house? We started out the Young Guns deal. Um, the first year I moved up here, I mean we had a pretty decent following. That was back in the days of that Benham buck and uh, another buck that we actually called. Um, it was out of BJ. Um, bad boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so we used Bad Boy in there. Anyways, that set of sheep, um, we kind of rode the shirt tails on the sale that was going on at Snyder at that time, and we catch the backflow traffic 
coming back towards the Austin area and that kind of stuff. Um, and we had a sell, sell there at the house and it went over good. Um, I don't remember what we averaged. It was probably $400 or something, but we got them all sold and everybody's happy with the sheep. And those sheep went out and did some good. So the next year, Mike told me, he said, you need to just have an auction. And uh, I said, well, I said, I can probably get the barn leased, you know, up here at the fairgrounds. I talked to some guys and see if I can get it done. So um, that year, I think we rolled about 40 head in there. I just took my whole set and we lambed out kind of from the last week in February to, you know, middle March, which kind of hit that deal that thing's always around. You know, it's the weekend after Mother's Day every year. And so those lambs were all weaned, ready to go at that time. And I think that year we probably averaged five or six hundred dollars. Was you it know, just so you? It's just me. Yeah, we ran those forty head, and we actually did it on bid cards. We didn't actually have an auction that year, so it went over pretty good that year. So then the next year we hired Charlie Jones to to auction it um, the next year, and that next year it just seemed like every year that average on those sheep would go up about two or three hundred dollars. And then finally, a lot of people started catching on that, you know, we were drawing a big crowd and wanted to put a few lambs in there. So there's a lot of local guys raising sheep here. So kind of started letting those guys pitch a few in and it seemed like the average kept going up and up and everybody was doing good with the sheep. And before long, it gets to where, you know, half the United States sheep breeders were wanting to be in the sale. And um, so I ran it, Ann and I ran it there for, oh, I don't know, 15 years, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then it just completely got to where it was hard for me to manage, take care of sheep here, do everything I've got to do. Um, so Justin was talking to me and that's about the time he started taking over the online services at Show Circuit. And he said, well, why don't you, you know, let us come in and, and, and help you and own part of that deal. So um, we made it we made a deal and and so now show circuit and i have have that sell together yeah so, and i think it's it's, it's one of the biggest ones there is right it now was fun. oh yeah it's in a couple more weeks right there's a second one no no they decided not to do the second sale really? yeah okay. well just everybody just this whole deal with the covid stuff going on and everything um a lot of the breeders have already sold their lambs because they kind of didn't know what was going to happen and they sold them as people came along yeah. so not a lot of people set on the, the the set of sheep they needed to to do the second one okay. so they made a determination that the first of this week we weren't going to do it so Dang, that's sad <laughs> they're still going to do a big goat sale there this, this oh, next they are still yeah go yeah um making starks doing his there yeah. and uh jamie and and them are putting some another little deal together so there'll be a, be a pretty big goat sale there this weekend but. Gotcha. so when i walk in your barn there's a sign on the wall that says D-A-T Clublands. What is Yeah, what that's... has your name on it. That's what Bradley Johnson come, called us was the dumbass Texans. You and... <laughs> Me and Greg Schumann. For a little while, Greg, Greg Schumann and I were partnered up, and um, he was running about 100 U's, and I was running about 150. And actually, when we first started going to the corpse sale and stuff, um, we, were <coughs> we were going together up there and selling. And that's a funny story as itself. First year we go up there... I think we averaged 350 bucks, and Alan McCune came up to me, and he had to sell at that time. He said, you know, you boys brought some pretty nice sheep. Nobody knows y'all up here. And he said, y'all bring the very best ones you got next year. And he said, I bet we can average over $1,000. And, uh, you know, when you're poor, uh, money talks. And so mm -hmm. we said, you know, some of our regular customers came by, and, you know, we set on, like, the best five head we had and uh, took them up there and, it's funny we we blow through there and auction. I mean, we end up averaging about twelve hundred and fifty dollars. From that day on, we thought we we're never going to see another poor day. <laughs> it was, we're winners. Yeah, it. yeah. It was it was kind of funny, but that's that's a long time ago. So you guys partnered for how long? And well, he still raises some sheep for me now. He was actually the goats that Glenn Martin sells that he calls the turkey farm goats. That's that's Greg. Greg oh, okay. just. Greg likes raising livestock. Uh, he's got a he's got a good eye for livestock. He does, you know, impeccable management on them, and uh, he he raised those goats for Glenn. And he finally decided to retire from that. And he actually bought a little jagged ewes from me, and then I went and helped him find some from Ellerbrock because I wanted two different lines in there we could kind of play with. And so, uh, so now he's he's raising some too. And then Glenn came up with a set from Chance Neff. 
and so he's actually up to about 100 ewes again. So, really? But yeah, he's raising some for Glenn and some for me too. Just a satellite? Yeah. So how'd that start? Were you guys best friends? Or? Yeah, when I lived down in Johnson City, um, I actually got to know Greg. That's, that's another funny story. I was actually working for Rodney Yates at that time a little bit on the side, and um, Greg, Greg knew me through Rodney, and he called me and said, I've got 10 ewes laying out here on their side in this wheat pasture. And I said, oh, you just got wheat pasture technique. I said, they, I said, we can save them. And I told him what to go get from the vet. And anyways, he ran, I met him over there and I beat all those ewes and Ella just one at a time they started popping up. Mm -hmm. he, he thought I was some kind of magician. <laughs> you are. So, so anyways, <laughs> after, since that time on, we've, we've been really good friends, mm -hmm. you know, for 20 years now, so. There you go. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about? I don't know. You got anything else you want to talk about? You want to talk about your kids? What, uh, I mean, they, they showed yeah. successful careers. Oh, yeah. They had success. They'd been a lot more successful if I didn't need the money. You know, <laughs> I'd have a heck of a set of, of lambs picked out for them, and somebody would come through and offer better money than I thought they were worth. And I'd just sell them flat footed, roll back into the <laughs> Aprils and Mays, and pick them another set out, you know. But they, they, had, they both had really good careers. Um, it's sad. We, I mean, we've had some lambs, you know, Grand Reserve, you know, at Austin and stuff like that, but it never was with my kids. But a lot of it was I probably didn't spend the time with them and the, you know, sheep getting them right because I always had so much else going on lambing. That's a bad thing in Texas, trying to to show the shows and, and, and keep all your lambs, you know, that you're raising healthy and alive. I mean, there's just so many hours in the day and it's hard to in April, you know, March, April, mm -hmm. to to put that much time when our shows are going on into those in, into your show stock. You know, like Wade, that's his main Franklin. That's his main deal. You know, is to win livestock shows. My main deal was to you know keep my sheep healthy yeah. and and going. And I didn't ever have the privilege of having you know a hired hand there to to feed and that kind of stuff for me. So I was always helping them <coughs> track and get sheep going. And uh, Trey would do, he started running a treadmill when he was nine years old, you know, and that, most people didn't even know what a treadmill was back then, but that was one of Ritson's deal. He said, man, if you're going to do this, you got to have a treadmill. We got a treadmill reverse. Now and, everybody's got yeah, one. Yeah, and everybody in the world's got one. So, but back then he would, he would treadmill and I'd track right quick. I'd run him with the dog and we'd split them in half and he'd do half and, ha and I'd do half. And anyways, but hell, after that, I had to get busy, you know, doctoring lambs or, or feeding and, and, you know, trying to get done with stuff, chores for that day. So I, I wish if I could go back, I had a little more time to spend and try to really get after it. And yeah. but like I said, they were successful. I mean, they, I mean, each one of them won, won our county show, which it's really tough. There's a lot of really good breeders around here and a lot of uh, good livestock people. And uh, both of them won a county three or four times a piece. And mm -hmm. they were always consistently in the top five in the majors. It's just if we'd have, if we'd have dialed in and, and spent a little more time with them, we may have could have got over the hump there. Yeah. You know. I mean, Tara won the crosses Fort Worth. I mean, yeah. You guys did good. You, yeah. You, you, you did good. Oh yeah, yeah. She had enough. She's got enough money to go through college and come out and put a down payment on a house when she gets out. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, she, she won the San Antonio show. And, yeah. Well, on the yeah on the U's, uh, she was she was supreme overall one year at San Antonio and got a fifteen thousand dollars scholarship out of that. And then she caught a calf in the calf scramble. So then we put another U in on the calf, you know, because mm -hmm. you have to come back and show something. So, so we what's did calf scramble, just for people who aren't from Texas? Man, every kid ought to get involved with that. Um, in the calf scramble, like in San Antonio, those kids will get like 1500 to $2,000 if they catch a calf and get it across the line. Well, then they get to use that. They give them a certificate, and they can go, they can either purchase a calf you know, a, a breeding heifer yeah. or a breeding sheep. Uh, and they have to participate in the breeding show. And then in, within the breeding shows, there's just tons of scholarships in there. You know, each breed has a $10,000 scholarship. Um, if you're supreme champion overall, it's 15, you know, and it, it counts a lot down the mm -hmm. road. You know, you go to paying for college, it makes oh, yeah. a big difference. When I came to school here in Texas, I'd come from California and, I, you know, I met a ton of kids, tons. I can't even name them all that that could pay for their college with showing and they'd never won a major. Correct. Like they just did good and, and you know, and they have tons of scholarship money, just hundreds of thousands even. Right. It's it's crazy how, yeah. 
how good Texas is at that. Right. And I mean, she got some of the 4-H scholarships. She got a 4-H and an FFA scholarship. She got a scholarship from Dallas mm -hmm. uh, State Fair. Um, I don't know when she started. I mean, for, for two and a half years, she's never paid anything. I really? mean, yeah, that's, that's a &M. I mean, that's Yeah, that's all on scholarships, yeah. Yeah, really? so. What's she going to do? She is going to work for the USDA. She's on a pilot program right now through uh, the USDA. Um, I'm not sure if she's going to try to do the FSA office or go into the lending part of it mm -hmm. and try to try to be an ag lender through the USDA. But yeah, she's kind of she's always been goal oriented. Trey, he's come back and uh, he's raising sheep with me. Has his own flock, doing really good. Mm -hmm. um, he kind of takes up the slack on helping kids which I've never had time to do. Um, kids that buy sheep from us, you know, they bring them here on the weekends, he'll work with them or any time in the week. Um, but he goes to the major shows and kind of helps them try to get them dialed in right and that kind of stuff, which is way time consuming. I, I'd rather stay here in Lamb than use than go to a stock show. Mm -hmm. I've always been so busy at just sitting around a stock show drives me nuts. I mean, I like watching guys short sheep, but it's the two days that you gotta spend there doing nothing, nothing yeah, that drives me nuts so i mean he likes it and and he does good at it so and it really helps it helps you know keep clients coming back because they have more success and for sure did you always know he would come back and do it or you know he on? loved it i mean he stayed at the barn all the time i yeah. mean from the time he was a little bitty i mean tara she show up do her work and go do something else but but trey was always right there helping me you know feed whatever we needed to do so yeah, I, I I had a feeling he was gonna want to do it. Proud or scared? You know, as I always told him, I said it's gonna take one hiccup in this in this business to really mess things up, and and we've actually seen it this year. I mean, with the with this deal that went on this year, I'm gonna say I hadn't done the numbers, but we're probably fifty percent of what we normally are for mm -hmm. our sales, just because I think the the people that have you know your people that buy county type sheep you know in that 500 to 750 range but we I, we hadn't sold five of them and we normally sold 50 or 100 of them uh there's just i think those people are hurting as far as you know with income and expendable income to be able to afford those those type sheep and you know i don't know if it'll change in the next couple of months before validation or not but that's what i was just you know, I told Trey, I said, we're, we're one hiccup away from this, in this industry from, you know, it going south. Yeah. And it worries me a little bit, you know, how it's going to bounce back. But, I mean, I know normally, you know, in the month of May, I will have 20 different ag teachers come through here. We've had one. Really? And that's it. And, and that, that ag teacher normally takes six. They took one lamb. So... And it's not because they haven't been doing good with the sheep. I mean, they've been winning counties and everything else with them, and, and they've been, you know, making their premium sell at their counties and stuff and making premium sales at majors with some of the higher-end ones they've bought. But this year, just yeah. a little scary-looking. I so. don't think people in, you know, the world realize that, you know, because you look at online sales and you look at these these fancy live sales, and you're like, okay, the sheep industry and the, and the livestock industry is doing good. These things are selling high. But after those, those customers, I mean, yeah. nothing... You know, the guys that have expendable cash to it, I, I'm going to say, like, this year, those are even a little higher yeah. than what they have been. Um, you know, those guys are getting after it. But they're not worried about, you know, where their next meal's coming mm -hmm. from, neither. And if that, you know, if they need that $500 to go buy groceries or buy a lamb, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? They're going to buy groceries. Yeah, yeah, they've got to, so. For sure. Well, thanks for sitting down with me, guy. It's a pleasure. Yeah, this was fun. Well, I uh, hope you guys liked it. Um, I've, I've only known Guy for about three, three maybe four years now. Um, I'll tell you a story about how I met him. It's pretty funny. So growing up in California, um, I was only exposed to the breeders around me, and, and I, you know, I had some relationships with those guys. But all those guys in the Midwest and Texas and Oklahoma, you know, I studied their websites and, and their genetics, and you know, I knew all about them. You know, I looked at these guys like they were celebrities. I'd never met any of them. All I, had, all I had done was heard about them and how great they were, and, and that's kind of how I saw it. So when I moved to Texas and uh, was helping Chad Walker at uh, the, the majors, getting sheep ready and stuff, uh, we were there at Fort Worth, and you know, just like normal, Chad says, hey, go blend those legs over there, and I go do it. 
you know, I stand up, go walk back over to Chad, and I'm like, hey, who raised who raised that sheep right there? And he, he points to the family, and they're, right, they're standing right there. He says, them, uh, Glasscock. And I, I looked at Chad, and I was like, the guy Glasscock? Like, 40 large guy Glasscock? And he's, they all started laughing. They heard what I said, and they were like, yep, that's him. That's him right there. And Guy and Tara and Trey got a pretty big kick out of it. And uh, so that was the first time I met him. And, and later on down the road, I ended up going to Angelo State with Trey, and we became best friends. And, you know, I guess the rest is history. Um, but, you know, I just – we always talk about that first story. You know, you know, Guy is a legend, and, and what he's done with, you know, his youth flock and how influential it is, you know, in so many other people's youth flocks. You know, making females that create so many bucks and have created so many winners – uh, it's just definitely noteworthy, and, there, and there's something to be said about that and his ability to put, put females together in the way that he does, and, and they have so much value for, for everybody around him and, and for himself, too. Um, his knowledge is just, is just so vast and, and, and so experience-based. I mean, he's, he's, he's gone through so much. I mean, so many different economies and, and, and you know, different things like you know, what we're going through right now, like the COVID. You know, he's just experienced it all and, and just learned from it and every chance he has. Um, but yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Legendary Mindset with Jake P, and our Instagram, Legendary Mindset Pod, for more content every week.